are listening to the online sermon ministry of Calvary Baptist Church in the Dalles, Oregon. Thank you for joining us as we search Holy Scripture together in order to edify the church, proclaim the gospel, and glorify God. Good morning, Calvary. Uh, My name is Bobby Mason, and if you're wondering to yourself, why is he preaching and singing, all of our other pastors were taken in the rapture. So, no, that didn't really happen. Everyone at home was like, oh no, I missed it. This is bad. No, that didn't really happen. No. Today we're going to focus on worship. What is worship? And um, a few months ago, David asked if I would be willing to, to talk about this. And so uh, many of you know me, and you know that I am... Um, not as comfortable without my guitar right here, so bear with me if I do weird things with my hands, because uh, that will probably happen. Um, but we want to find out this, this morning is, in the spirit of Advent, what does it look like to worship fully? What I'd love to do to open us is to pray together in what we have been doing is a pastoral prayer, and because we just had Thanksgiving, I would love to just thank our Savior for who he is, and what he's done for us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you and we are keenly and humbly aware of who we are in light of who you are. And yet, Lord, you saw fit to save us from ourselves. Lord, I pray this morning as we are apart but together in spirit, Lord, that you would remind us of your goodness. That if we could just take a few minutes to remember all of the amazing things that you have done, even in this season as it has been difficult. God, I'm thankful for our families that are a part of this church, families that have been an immense blessing in my own life, the, the Nickel family and the Carson family, the, the Vaught family and the Odells, the, the Wolters and my own, my own family at home watching right now. God, the, the Skeens and the, the, the Sum, Carol Summers and, and, and just so many hundreds of people that have been a part of what you have done here through this, this time, the Sawyers and God, just, just let us remember what you've done in the hearts of people. Father, thank you for the reminder of what worship is. Even in this time before the service, sitting together with my friend Ben and, and just talking about who you are and how we worship you. Thank you that you've given us fellowship. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you for the amazing beauty that is all around us. God, it is so easy to get stuck in the midst of tragedy, calamity, selfishness, preference, and forget who you truly are and what you have done. God, I pray that you would be the one who is speaking today and that you would bypass this humble vessel, Lord, to have spoken what you need to have said. We recognize you as the good father, creator of the universe, the good shepherd, Lord. Lead our hearts today. 
We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I can't imagine what it must have felt like all those years ago when Mary sat alone. The angel has just left her. She's probably 13 to 15 years old, unmarried and afraid. She's just been told that she's going to have a child and that child is going to be the savior of the world. Mary has been through some hard times. As many of us have felt here in these times, we feel that there's so much difficulty and, and I would encourage you to look back and, and see what the Israelites were going through at the time where she has not probably experienced the same types of freedoms that she would hope to and, and hasn't heard from God through the prophets in hundreds of years, generations upon generations, the feeling must have been very alone. Very, very quiet and dark indeed. And then to have this dropped in your lap, a, a gift in the midst of this, she's told that she's going to be bearing a son and we would call his name Emmanuel. In that time, Mary writes a song. This week, I took some time, and I, I tried to write a song of my own, and she does a lot better job with it than I did, and I think it's probably because it really, truly was all she could do was to allow her affections for God to come out in this way. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 46 it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on me in my humble estate. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed, for he is mighty, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to the, our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's outpouring of worship in this way is, it's a, it's a praise, it's a song, it's, a, it's, it's an overflow. And so this morning as we look together at worshiping fully, we're not going to talk so much about songs or song choices, and many of you at home are probably very glad for that, because some of you probably don't love some of the songs or song choices, and, and some of you... Um, would rather, would rather do something different. And, and so the good news for you today and for me is that we're not going to be talking about the actions of worship, but we're going to be talking about the heart that brings about worship. What, what is worship? John Piper describes worship like this. He says that true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. I tried my hand at a, at a definition. I just sat and I thought about what, what is worship. 
how do I view worship? And I said, I would define worship as the overflow of affection and honor, whether in word or in deed or in spirit. As we talk about worship, one story in the Bible that stood out to me was in the book of Genesis chapter 22. If you would turn there, if you're at home, if you've got a Bible at home, um, please turn to Genesis chapter 22. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and his wife Sarah had been told a long time ago that they were, he was going to be the father of nations. And he took that promise to heart and many, 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 many years passed and Sarah was barren. And then an angel came to them in a similar way and said that she was going to have a son. Both of them were a bit skeptical because they were nearing uh, the age where you could not have children. I would say they were probably past it, but they did. So it's obviously not past it. They have this beautiful, wonderful son named Isaac. And after he's born, God calls to Abraham and he wants to make sure that he's the man that he thinks that he is. And so he calls Abraham to do the unthinkable. It says in verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer them, him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, he said, here am I, son. He said, behold, He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar. He laid the wood there in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his own son. And but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said to him, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
what is it that we worship? In this situation, God is clearly testing Abraham. He wants to know, do the affections of his heart draw more dearly, more Is there more affection for his son than there is for his God? If you notice throughout the passage, there are some incredible parallels to another story of an only son who carries the wood that will be his altar. As we think of this father leading his son to slaughter, it's hard not to think about the God of the universe, and the tree that he bared on his way to Calvary. How do we worship? What do we worship? What is worship? Worship is not a deed. It's not an altar. It's not a song, even. Worship is the outpouring of our hearts the affections that are there for whatever it is that we're worshiping, and then what we see is that expression of worship. So worship can be the body of believers gathering together in fellowship and encouragement and praise and the word and prayer. That can be an expression of worship. But if your only expression of worship happens on Sundays in a certain church, in a certain pew, with a certain song, then I would challenge you that maybe you have an Isaac that God is going to challenge you with soon. I know for myself personally, the pandemic that we've been in now for nine months is very, very challenging for me. Some of you are like, yeah, duh, we're here too, we get it. Um, But why is it so challenging for me? I I miss people, I'm a pretty relational person. in general. Most of the relationships that I have with people, they probably wish that I wasn't so relational. They'd like a break from me at times. I know my wife feels that way at times. Um, I can be a lot, she might say. But what is it in me that desires that thing so deeply, and is that thing the Isaac that I need to take to the altar so that God can can show me where my true affection lies? In our own lives, what is it that we truly worship? What is the thing that is keeping us from truly offering our affections for Jesus and not necessarily the pew or the church or the gathering? Maybe for you it's something totally different. I know for me at times in my life I get fixated on something that is completely outside of that scope. For instance, this is, a, this is a silly thing, and I didn't really think about this before this sermon, but I have been um, frequently driving by the Ernest dealership. And this is funny, because Pastor David, he knows of another pastor who does stuff like this um, in his sermons. Um, he'll mention something like this in, um, so that maybe perhaps someone will bless them with it. Please don't take that this way, because I drive by the Ernest dealership, and there is a, uh, this beautiful 2020 Toyota Supra. It's a two-door, two-seat, like, supercar. It's gorgeous, gorgeous car. And sometimes I can get so fixated on just looking at it and thinking about, man, I'd love to drive that thing. What if that was my car? And, and we, we get this kind of blinder on to what is truly important. And soon we begin to spend so much of our time and energy and affection 
that it becomes something that God is going to bring to the altar and ask us eventually, what do you love more? And that's not to say that we can't have things or stuff, but what is it that we truly worship? I'm going to offer you a couple of ideas this morning, and hopefully these are helpful in getting you to a place where you can assess what you worship, who you worship, and why you worship them. The first step in assessing your worship, the outpouring of your affection for a thing, the thing that I'm going to ask you to do, this isn't a formula, this isn't something that is a a tried and true um, thing, but what I want to try and ask you to do this morning is to stop and humble yourself. This is not a fun thing to do. Humbling ourselves takes an immense introspection, time, energy. Humbling ourselves means we have to think less of ourselves than the thing that we want to worship. We have to take the idea or ideal of ourself in whatever we want to be, hope to be, and replace that thing with God. Humbling ourselves means taking yourself down off of the pedestal or the throne in your life and assessing your heart. One key thing that this will do is it will expose in you a sense of selfishness and pride. Some of us are more prideful than others. I tend to have that issue in my life. And so as I step back from myself and look at myself in the mirror, it is If you put Jesus on the other side of that mirror, it would be a very ugly thing to see me. As you sit at home today and you think of what you hope to worship, do your affections draw you to Jesus? Or do they draw you to some form of yourself or something that you desire? Humble yourself. That's one step along the way to assessing and finding true worship of the true God. The second thing that I would ask you to do is consider repenting. This is something in our culture that has gone by the wayside, I feel. I don't know many people that have a regular practice of repentance. But I can tell you for sure that we do need it. This relationship that we have with our creator, with Jesus Christ who made the world and then we messed it up and then he redeemed us back to himself. It is a relationship. He is my God, my friend. He called me friend. And so when I do something to wrong him, just like when I do something to wrong my wife or my my friend Ben or my friend Joel, would I not go to them and just tell them that I was so sorry that I did that? And yet I think in today's culture, we tend to take the avenue that grace abounds and so we just continue in that without ever thinking to repent. Humble yourself. Look rightly at yourself. Then look at the Savior and turn back to him. That's what repentance is. Turning back to Jesus instead of choosing that thing or yourself. 
And I promise you, as you look to him, and as you see his immense beauty, as you see him for who he is, not even just what he's done, but who he is, your heart will be drawn into a place of worship where you can truly say that you hope that your truest praise would not be something that anyone ever sees you do. It wouldn't be anything that ever, anyone ever hears you say or a song that they ever heard you sing. It would never be an accomplishment that someone can praise you for, but that your heart would begin to praise from within. And that those deeds and actions and things will begin to be the outpouring of a truth, truthfully worshipful heart. You see, we can do all sorts of things and have it not be worship. I know that in schools we used to have um, what was called the Pledge of Allegiance. And so as students we would stand up and we would put our hands over our hearts and we would say, I pledge allegiance to the flag the United States of America. And even though those words were familiar and true, it does not make it worship. The words of your mouth do not make those words worship. Many of you, coming soon, will be sending large amounts of money to the IRS. That doesn't make your giving worship. And so, as we've done in the last several weeks in our time of closing and benediction, we remind people about what is the true heart of worship in giving. The goal is not to receive large sums of money like the IRS. The goal is to turn your heart back to Jesus so that you can see that that outpouring of your gift truly comes from a worshipful spirit. We can say all sorts of things, we can do all sorts of deeds, but our hearts are not drawn into worship unless we humble ourselves and repent so that we can see the true beauty of our Savior, so that we can know who he really is and be drawn into that affection with him. I'm going to read Mary's song one more time. And we're going to go into a time of musical expression of worship. I think it's important that we begin to think differently about what worship is. We say it flippantly here in the church. Let's worship together. That is an expression of our worship. But the idea that it gives is that worship happens here. Worship is every day, all day. It is the way in which my heart expresses that affection for Christ. Mary's expression of her worship when she found that she was the one that would carry Jesus. She says that my soul magnifies the Lord. It makes big of, it makes great of. My soul is exploding to make the greatest of my God. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary saw herself correctly. In her humble estate she knew that Jesus the Savior would be the perfect sacrificial lamb that would save us. 
her heart magnified the Lord because she knew who he was. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, I ask this morning that something that was said today will help to sort out for those who are at home, who are here, the difference between a tradition of singing, a tradition of scripture, a tradition of prayer, and a relationship that cultivates an affection and an honor and the glorification of a God of the universe who is very much deserving of all of our praise. Until the end of time, Lord, we will sit, we will stand, we will praise you singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. We will worship you for all time. And Lord, I know as a young child, I thought about that and even my own kids have said to me, Dad, doesn't that sound like it's gonna get kind of repetitive and boring? And my challenge to them and the challenge that I continue to give to myself is maybe we don't have the right viewpoint of how amazing, how beautiful, how awesome he truly is. The Lord, we ask today that you would give us a sense and a time of reflection that we could look at our own hearts, that we could humble ourselves and see ourselves rightly and so that at that point, Lord, we could repent, turn to you in your goodness and worship you fully. We love you in Jesus' name.